talk about the unknown God. And you think, well, what does that mean? Well, it was an incredible issue in Paul's day, and it was one that he encountered in the city of Athens, in ancient Athens, on his missionary journey. And I think it's one that actually is applicable to us today as well, about the unknown God. And this is how the Apostle Paul puts this in the book of Acts, Acts, Acts chapter 17, and beginning here in verse 23. And Acts, uh, Acts Paul is uh, reminding people, he's encountering people here, and he makes this statement as soon as I can find the book of Acts, which I know is in here. Acts chapter 17 and verse 23. And here's what Paul says in verse 23. He says to them here, for, you, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. This is an interesting statement that he makes to them. And again, as I say, it is not unlike our world today. Because we have a world today that is proclaiming spirituality and a world today that, well, we kind of have a, almost a holiday to the unknown God. It's called Halloween. That is, it's All Saints Day. It's about the spirits. And it is a, a day that originally was kind of set aside to worship. And just in case we missed somebody, then we've got one that kind of covers it all. And in this particular case, that's exactly what they were doing. So it is, it is not unlike that in that regard. And it's certainly not unlike our world today. Because we do have a world today that talks about spirituality. And yet, while the world talks about spirituality, they are uncertain about God. And they're uncertain about their relationship with God in that regard. And some will declare that there is no God. This is it. This life. We live this life. That's the end of it. Some will declare, well, I think that maybe there's reincarnation. There's, uh, there's a spirit, but we don't know what happens with that. Others just have a very negative view. If there is a God, they've got a very, very negative view of God. And to have a negative view of God, I would suggest, is not really knowing God for who He is. And many look, and they think in terms of their spirituality, as being something of a higher power. And that that higher power can be whatever we make it to be. That is our world. So if we were to, as it were, add up all of these individuals, there would be, in essence, billions of people on our planet today who have a belief and know little about God and an understanding in that regard. We have many religions in the world searching for a belief. And while they may call themselves religious, they're not sure exactly of what's going on. 
So when we read here in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul talking to them as he's wandering around the city and having been in the city of Athens, still today there are a lot of religious relics, a lot of objects, a lot of temples that people go to and they worship and we can see that in antiquities. In most of those cities or places, high places, there are temples built, there are um, you know, again, objects. And so Paul, as he walked around the city of Athens, he found all kinds of objects that people worship. Again, stating that that is not untrue of our world today. There are a lot of things that people worship in a lot of different ways. And all of that, when you think about it they, in terms of worship, that they all kind of equate this, or many equate this then, as God. And they give equal footing, equal status, that this is God. And yet, what the Bible tells us is that there is only one God, you know, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as He has revealed Himself, and that God would like and desires for us to know Him. So, in this case, in the Athens, they built an altar to the unknown God. And they would come there and they'd worship that. But think about it. If, how do you worship something that you know nothing about? That is really unknown to you. Then it's got to be totally ethereal. It's got to be totally theoretical. It's got to be one of those things you say, well, just in case. But it's very hard to connect, to bond, to relate to, to understand something that you know little or nothing about. So Paul goes on in the book of Acts, and here's the context of his revelatory statement. Here's what he tells them leading up to the statement about the unknown God. He says here, beginning here in verse 16, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. So this created, so if if I talk like this is a stressful situation, it was. It was for the Apostle Paul. It also is for us. Anyone who believes that there is one God, it is a stressful situation to see what people put their confidence in and what they worship. So he was stressed to see the city full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now you have to understand the agora or the marketplace. The marketplace was the, the center of communication in the city. That's where everybody went who had an idea, a philosophy, something they wanted to talk about, and they had the the bema. Uh, It's a place where people stood up in the marketplace and they preached or professed their understanding. Uh, That's what they had at at that time. So they were in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. 
So neither the Epicureans nor the Stoics agreed with the Apostle Paul. They began to dispute with him. Now you have to understand the difference between the two. The Epicureans, on the one hand, are the individuals who love pleasure, who love luxury. Everything is good, and we want to have everything, and you can do anything you want to do. If it feels good, do it. On the other hand, you have the Stoics, who say the body is evil, and you should control the body, deny yourself, you know, as, as Paul talked about in the book of Colossians, it's Taste not, touch not, handle not, you know, you don't have anything to do with anything. Everything is bad. So you've got these two vast groups that totally are in disagreement with one another, and they're disputing. So we find in our world today, as well, groups on one hand who are very do whatever you want to do, Others, on the other hand, who are very legalistic and you can't do anything and, you know, God hates you and you ought to hate you, etc., etc., and the like. So, again, saying that it's not unlike our world. And it is a belief in, in that this is the way you live life. But is this really what Paul is telling them? And then, of course, Paul goes on and he's waxing eloquent and I say waxing eloquent because as we go on, it tells a group of Korean stories. They began to speak with him, and some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Now, you may think of that of me in this moment. What is he trying to say? Well, what I'm trying to say is that there is a God, and that we can know God, and the, how that we know God. Others remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now, when we talk about God, it does seem to be foreign to people. And when we talk in particular about Jesus, it seems to be foreign to people. Because while on the one hand, it is much more acceptable to talk about God in a general term, it is far less acceptable, on the other hand, to speak about Jesus in our world in which we live. And while you can talk about God and you may or may not get yourself killed, you can get yourself killed talking about Jesus and having a belief in there, in Him. So anyway, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus. And now, again, here's what it is good news about Jesus. That is what he is preaching. And the resurrection so not only do we have Jesus but we have this on the other hand and it is impossible I'm going to suggest that it is impossible to know God without Jesus and also an understanding of the resurrection the death, burial, resurrection and the ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus so he's telling them, he's presenting them the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting in the Aragopagus where he said to them, may, may we know what this teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what you mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing. 
this sounds kind of like Congress, doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. This sounds like a world, you know, every idea, oh, yeah, that's a possible, we could do this, we could do that, listening, you know, just trying, titillating their intellectual senses, and everybody's idea is as good as the next person's idea. And that is the world in which Paul brings up his statement about this. So then Paul stood up, so they, they bring him to this area, the Aragopagus, or the, the, like the Bema, the marketplace, and the like. Then Paul stood up at the meeting of the Aragopagus, said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, again, in spirituality, people consider themselves to be spiritual and, a, and it is part of their religious experience without being religious. Because in our world today, nobody wants to be religious. And Paul saw that these individuals were very religious. That's how he terms it. That's what he says of them. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found that there was an altar to the unknown God. This is how religious, and they're involved in everything going on. And you worship something unknown, and then he says, This unknown God I am going to proclaim to you. So let's take a look at how the Apostle Paul presents the unknown God. Now, why would this be important to us? And why should we have a concern? So we have to ask ourselves this question. How well do you or I think that we know God? So imagine yourself sitting down with God and saying, Well, God, let me tell you a few things about you that I understand about you. You are... You say that you are God, but I, I'm finding it difficult to believe that you are God. I question some of the things that you do. I would suggest that I would do things differently. Uh, I have talked about you. And yet I, as I say, disagree with you. Now, I find it concerning because Jesus makes a comment back in, I, I, I say a comment. I believe that when Jesus makes a comment, his comments are true. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> because as Richard read from the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. He came as a light and the world did not receive him. But Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 7, and I believe it's verse 23, this statement here about people who were very religious. Kind of like Paul was talking to the men of Athens. And he says this beginning in verse, actually verse 21 of Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who does the will of my Father, now, this is important because it is about doing the will of the Father. It is an acknowledgement of a, of a Father, a Father God, who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not preach in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then, Jesus said, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So it's important that God knows us. But in for, in for God knowing us, I think that we also have a responsibility of knowing something about God. So I think it's very, very important for us all because our desire is to be a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that God is, is building, making the place that he's preparing for us. So th- there's a world in which we live as religious to the unknown God. And there's also a religion without knowing Jesus, and we consider that to be a religion. So Paul goes on, and the point I want to bring out here is how he proclaims the unknown God. And this is what he says beginning in verse 24 of of Acts chapter 17. In verse 24 he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. So how does he start all of this in telling people about the unknown God? The God who made all things. The God who made heaven and earth. The creator God. Now, it's a problem in our world because there are many people who do not believe that God created and their worship basically is matter. Matter is what matters. That they, in essence, they take matter, and life began from from nothing. But they, well, where did the matter come from? And how are things held together? How did all this happen? Well, Paul says, first of all, this unknown God his creator of heaven and earth. And he's going to also tell us that he is also our creator. So he proclaims that part of the knowledge, the God who made everything. And then Paul is preaching the same message in this way in the book of Romans. And he also then concludes that if you don't have this understanding, you're going to have a problem and a difficulty as they did in Rome. In Romans chapter 1 and beginning in verse 14, here's what the Apostle Paul says, and he's preaching this message as God being creator. He says here in verse 14 of Romans 1, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am eager to preach the gospel also to to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So he's talking about a revelation of God and who he is. Then he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness of wicked men, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made, so that men are without excuse. So Apostle Paul is telling them that creation helps us to see, to understand the invisible things of God. The awesomeness. And when you think about how awesome the universe is. Now think about our world today. Never before in the history of mankind have we been able to see the creativeness of our world. The massiveness of our universe. The intricacies of how small things are. And we talk even now, uh, and they used the term last year about the God particle. And they're thinking maybe this, but they also think, well, there's another particle that is smaller than that. And they are, with great anticipation, theorizing that if they ever find this, they may find the origin of life. And if they do, and it is God, but see, they don't want to think that there is a God. And it's hard for them to think that God made the world out of nothing. And that God is spirit. And how do you, how do you find spirit? All of that. But Paul is saying, this is a problem. And for, for each of us, in a way, the, the things that God has created and the things that God is doing, His divine nature, we think about grace and how awesome it is. We think about something that we really cannot define, which is love cannot really define love other than God is love. Not love is God. God is love. That's who He is. He is love. And it is incredibly awesome. It is so powerful. Then it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him. Now this is the other part of the creation. They knew God in the sense that they had a belief in God, they had a belief in a higher power, but the problem is that they did not glorify Him as God. In our world today, that's the unknown God. It's like, well, yeah, there's a God, but He's just one of many gods. He's no better than anyone. And by the way, how can He say there's only one God? You know, Who does He think He is that there's only one God? There's one way. One faith, one hope, one baptism. You know, how can he talk in that way? So although they could have known God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Um, When we know God, we glorify him as God, and we're thankful to God. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, and this is part of it when you, you become smarter than God, although they, they were wise, they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles, and that's what the Apostle Paul encountered in Athens. Therefore, God gave them up over to sinful desires of their heart, to sexual immorality and purity, for the degrading of their bodies. When they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship, and here is the world again in which we live, 
They worship and serve the created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. So to know God, you've got to know Him as your Creator, God. Now, the, for sake of time, well, let's read this again so that we have a basic understanding. Paul did not change this theme when he wrote the letter to the church at Colossae, and this is what he says of God and creation. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, here's what he tells the church there. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, now a God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for the saints, the faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. And then he goes on to tell us here in the same chapter, speaking of Christ and the supremacy of Christ, he says, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We go back to creation again. For, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But we might argue the point, all things are held together by gravity. But how awesome is gravity? I marvel, here we are on earth... And I know some scientists have figured out exactly how much the Earth weighs. And we've already, you know, it's traveling through space. It's spinning around. And just uh, less than a month ago, I was on the up, un, underside of this Earth. <laughs> you know, down in New Zealand. So I was upside down. But I thought I was upright. And I didn't fall off the Earth. And gravity holds things together. And you think, here's this spinning around, thousand miles an hour. And yet there's, it's not destructive. We have winds of 165 miles an hour spinning around in Mexico, and, they hit, and they're destroying everything. Yet gravity, you know, can keep, holds things together, but yet all things are held together by him. This is what Paul is telling us. And he says all things in heaven and in earth. Now, we think that he, and this is another thing that Paul tells us in Acts 17, that he is Lord of heaven and earth. And that Jesus tells us that all power in heaven and earth has been given to him. He has all authority and power. Now, to know God is to know that Jesus has authority and he has authority in our life and God has authority in our life as well. And that we believe in a most incredible thing the Apostle Paul is telling them in the book of, of Acts, in this unknown God. It is a resurrected God. This is so foreign and so strange in knowing God that there is a resurrection. But the resurrection tells us so much that we would not know about God and about our hope and about our future. 
that is, that God, the Word would come in flesh, become flesh, live, die, bury, be resurrected, and ascend to the heavens, and sit at the right hand of God, make intercession for us, who is our elder brother, our friend, and our intercessor in every way, we get to know a little bit about God. And through the resurrection, which gives us hope for people who are getting closer to a resurrection. Which brings up another question of death. Jesus died. He rose again. He was glorified. We get to know about God. We also get to know something about God that he doesn't tell us everything immediately. That was true in the book of Genesis. He didn't tell them in the tree of the knowledge of good death. He didn't tell them everything. He told them what they needed to do, that is, not touch it or eat of it and the like. But in these last days, and this is a progression, as God is unveiling for us and giving us understanding, like peeling away layers. But in the book of Hebrews, this is what we read, and we're encouraged about it. And we get to know and understand a little bit more about God in Hebrews chapter 1 and in verse 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. His Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on heaven. So he became superior than angels. It's interesting today, there are a lot of people who believe in angels. That is not uncommon. That was true in the Jewish world. There was a strong belief in angels. The problem is, they believe in angels more than they believe in Jesus. That becomes an issue. They really don't know God. They don't know who God is and what God is doing. Now, Jesus then also tells us, and this is about knowing God, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, he tells us, and his, his comment recorded in the Bible, that no one comes to the Father except Jesus revealed him. That Jesus reveals the Father. We can't do that on our own. Now it becomes even more complex in the sense that Jesus also tells us that no one can come to him except the Father draw him. This is God's involvement, the Father and the Son. Now, interesting thing about the Lord's Prayer, how does it begin? It begins, Our Father, which is inclusive, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done. We have been talking about this. To know God, you have to know that He is our Father, which is a relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ, who dwells in heaven, and that His will is to be accomplished in our life. And yet, what did Jesus encounter in His day? Jesus said, and this is in John chapter 5, verse 36 through 40, he reminds them that they search the scriptures seeking salvation, but they refuse to come to him. We simply cannot know God unless we come to Christ. And God gives us an example of that. 
And he helps us, Jesus gives us that example and helps us understand that God gives life, that God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands, and so we get to know a little bit more about God. Now, as we continue on in the book of Acts, chapter 17, what Jesus, uh, um, sorry, Paul, again goes, he says that God is the creator of mankind. And he says, one man. Who is that one man? That's Adam. Oh my. Now, this helps us also understand something about God, because God created Adam, and then from Adam he created Eve, but all mankind comes from that. Now, that speaks to racial equality. It speaks to the brotherhood of man. It speaks to all of these things, and we can't know God if we, first of all, don't love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and being, and love our neighbors ourselves. These are things about getting to know God, who God loves, because, again, we tend to think, well, we're the only ones. No, we're not. God loves mankind. As Jeanette was saying, for God so loved the world. This is what, you know, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we begin to see this, and then he moves on, and this is where it gets intriguing. Because he tells us that we all come from one, and of course the book of Corinthians will also says, as in Adam all men die, but as in Christ shall all men live, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it talks about God living and living in us. And what that gets interesting because the way Paul puts it in Acts 17 is this, that in him we live and move and have our being. Now figure that one out, scientist. On the one hand, on the other hand, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. The life I now live, it's not me who's living it. It is Christ who lives in me, who loves me and gave himself for me. It is Christ who lives in, in me. So to know God, we have to allow Christ to live in us. And that is done through the Holy Spirit coming comforting us, guiding us, counseling us. Now, to know God, you got to know what Jesus said again in Matthew 6, our Father. So Paul tells us in the book of Romans that they that are led by the Spirit, they are sons of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This is an enduring term, and that we are heirs with Christ, co-heirs with Christ, if we're willing to suffer. As we get to know God, and, and see who he is, we have a relationship with God. So to know God is to have a relationship with him. And then he tells them in Acts 17, also in verse 30, Now God in times past was over, you know, he was willing to overlook your ignorance. But now time is coming for judgment. Now Jesus put it another way for us to understand. The kingdom of heaven is present. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus tells us to change. Come to know God and understand that. And that Jesus is the judge in the sense that he tells us the truth. He's raised from the dead. Now, the really challenging and thing of importance for us to understand in terms of knowing God and not an unknown God is this. 
Jesus' prayer in John 17, where he says, This is eternal life. This is why it's important to know the Father and the Son whom he has sent. When we understand Jesus, who came, the word came, was God, became one of us, became flesh, lived, and then we get to see Jesus. Jesus begins to reveal the Father to us. The Father draws us to his Son. We get to know God. And life really begins to happen in a different way. Because when you get to know God, you know that you have a relationship with God. God has a relationship with you. That there is one God. Jesus is the Son of God. Our lives are forever changed. Eternal life. The real joy of life is knowing God. And by the way, we just because we don't know Him fully, we can't reject it and say, well, I don't know you fully, I just give up on you. No. God continues. It is a process. In the latter days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And we begin to understand things that the world has been looking into. And the way the Apostle Paul described it so often, that God is revealing the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You and I, brethren, live in a world, a great world, a vast world, that worships an unknown God. In the, and not in a good sense, they just don't know God. And don't want to know it. And yet... What God says, and Paul says there in Acts 17, when he's talking about one man and Adam, God did this, that we might seek him and find him. God can be found. Romans 1 showed us that God can be found. It is people don't want to find God because they don't want to go through his son. I want to go another way. You know, I'll worship any God that I want to. I should have all this. No, we go through Christ. He is the door. He is the way. And when we see Christ, as, as Jesus said to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And knowing God changes everything. That's where we want to be. We want to grow. And our knowledge of our Lord and Savior and eternal life is about knowing God. And when you know God, you get life, and life is awesomely wonderful. We have hope, we have joy, we have faith, we have love. We have, as Jesus said, eternal life. Because there is a God that you and I can know, and who wants us to know Him. To His praises and honor and glory, we give thanks and we worship. Let's conclude in prayer. Father, we thank you very much for your blessings. We thank you for everyone here. Thank you, Father, for revealing yourself through your Son, our Lord and Savior, through Scripture, through your Holy Spirit, work in our lives. Truly, Father in Heaven, help us to have life, to know you better. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Feeling the blues today? Or tired of life already? Do you have questions about life? Or need spiritual advice? The Worldwide Church of God is located in Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Modesto, California. We welcome everyone to attend our worship services with us every week at the times listed on your screen.